Boy, I feel like I've died and gone to heaven. Man, that was absolutely spectacular. I'm going to miss, Karen and I are going to miss the people the most. I just want to get that part clear. But second, highest, I'm going to miss worshiping in this space with these musicians and this congregation. There's nobody, there's no congregation in the world that sings like this one. I don't know if you stopped to just listen to the people singing around you just 30 seconds ago. But this congregation has been gifted by God. And, and, and he's given us brilliant mentors. I'm thinking about my friends Steve Zork and Mark say. Steve and Sue, we've been together, I don't know how many years. It feels like forever. <laughs> Too many to say, yeah, that's probably right. But I know every Sabbath when I see the Zorks in place, we're going to worship. Chuck and Julie. Ah, praise God. And Mark, Mark, you, where are you? There you are. Mark was a young adult here at Andrews University, a music major, something like that. And he was our, our music director for our praise team. And Mark is the one that started this trend of bringing strings and full instrumentation, and we had never heard anything like that. And so, Mark, God bless you. Glad you're back. And the new pastor coming, Shane Anderson, you guys work together there in Newmarket and Shenandoah Valley. I spent three hours with Shane last week. He's a great guy, and I, I hope you get some collaboration going, uh, you too. It also feels like I've died and gone to heaven when a room full of the former pastors all showed up for dinner last night. I could not believe it. It has been my, it, it, Karen's and my humble uh, privilege to work with the best pastors in this denomination. And they've taken their turns and they've left along the way, but they've left a mark in my heart. And I love you guys for it. Thank you for coming and for, and for being here. And I want to thank the, uh, hey, what time does this service end? Does anybody know? <laughs> I want to thank the president of the General Conference, Ted Wilson, my friend. We went to, we went to uh, grade school together. He was in the eighth grade. I was in the seventh grade. A school called John Nevins Andrews. Never had a clue that I would end up spending my life at an Andrews. But we sang together in the treble choir. You had to be a soprano to sing in that choir. And so he's a little older than me, but he could hit those high notes. And I'm grateful that he sent the greetings. And as for the Southern Baptists, let me tell you something. Their finest is sitting right over there, Randy and Lisa Kennedy. Yeah, I'm telling you, Randy. He comes walking in here. Randy comes walking in here like this is where he belongs. And what a surprise. What an absolute surprise. I'm going to tell you something. This guy, he's a, a, a chaplain for professional uh, Atlanta Hawks. You're looking at the chaplain. Senior PGA, then senior PGA. Great golfer. Brian and, and uh, Randy, you can get together. So he's been in the sports world. He's been active, of course, as a, as a Southern Baptist. But bless his heart, 
every Saturday morning, I'm telling you, every Saturday morning, first service. You say, I'm not going to, I'm not going to waste the day waiting for a second, Dwight, for you, but I'll get up first thing and be at, uh, be at the first service on live stream. And so Randy and Lisa, thank you for coming. Yeah. I'm going to pray. Oh God, how great. Oh, when we were singing that, the, the rafters did lift. How great is our God. This weekend is about our God. Not a little guy. This weekend is about our great God. And we're in the middle of worship. We're about ready to draw to a close. But give these last moments, uh, let the Holy Spirit ignite them for each of our minds and, and our hearts. In, in Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Let me put a verse on the screen for you. Galatians 6, 14, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. 1 Corinthians 2, 2, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Why? Because the greatest truth in the universe, the summation of all universal truth is this one sentence, the maker of all things loves and wants me. We've been working that line for a long time together, and I hope you never forget it. It will never become false. It will never be replaced. It is the greatest truth. The maker of all things loves and wants me. Without a doubt, the most significant contribution that John Boy, I'm talking about the youngest of the disciples, what John Boy made, John the Beloved, to our understanding of salvation and our picture of the cross, he made that contribution by doing this. I want you to watch this door and watch what comes in, this door right over here. And it is that contribution that has beefed our understanding of the, uh, the beauty of God's character and salvation. And this is, this is Kathy Goodell, who is chair of the Animal Sciences Department here at Andrews University. And what is this? When was this lamb born? Yesterday. Yesterday. Can you believe it? A newborn lamb. Hey, guys, you can pet it while he's here. <laughs> I got three granddaughters who would love to just come running up here right now. But, uh, but Kathy, so, so the mother is willing, you know, after a day to uh, part? Yeah, she'll be okay. <laughs> and I made some comment about dads at first, but I'm not going to make it. Yeah. Uh, but let me ask you this. How long are these little lammies attached to, to a parent? Well, it's interesting. Um, they nurse three or four months. Oh. But the female lambs, like this one, who are going to stay in the flock, they know their mothers their whole life. Yeah. And so you often see them lying near each other at night when they're resting. Yeah. Bless them. And uh, the, the uh, lambing season... It, are we in it? This is right now. Yeah. Like, obviously. Yeah, we have uh, two more to go. Two more seasons to go? No, two more. No, two more mother sheep to give birth. Oh, okay. <laughs> you go, girl. You go, girl. You pinched her at the right time. You did that. I didn't. Come on, her. Kathy. <laughs> I didn't. Oh, you terrible. I know it. Uh, I want you to look at this. Uh, do we have a camera on, uh, on, on Kathy and the, the lamb? I'm going to go over here and grab my Bible. Open your Bible. John is the only writer in all of Scripture to take that animal and attach it to the name of Christ. Nobody else has done that. 
John does it twice in his gospel, 30 times in the apocalypse. Open your Bible to John chapter 1. We're just working our way, returning to Calvary. One more piece next week, and it may be the most important piece you have heard. And we'll save that for next week. John chapter 1. So, John the baptizer. I call him baptizer because he was not a Baptist. Randy, let's just be clear on that. He was not a Baptist. Please, come on. Okay. I stick to my notes here. All right. John 1, verse 29. I'll put it on the screen as well. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Look. Man, look. That's an exclamation point in the Greek. That's code word. He will use that word only four times. Only four times in his gospel. The first two we're going to get right now. He'll save the last two till standing in Pilate's presence. The scourged, purple robes soaked with blood, thorn-crowned prisoner, Jesus of Nazareth. Early that Friday morning, Pilate looks at that prisoner. He says, yo, rabble, look, the man. Didn't move the crowd at all. Later that same morning, he brings him back out. Another scourging. Behold, look, the king. He was the king, and nobody knew. Yeah, that's code language. What, what, what John is really saying is, come on, look. I want you to look at the Christ. You're reading my gospel now. Just keep your eyes on Jesus. All right? So let's finish the... Uh, Okay, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him. No, that's uh, the next one here. And again the next day. So this happens twice. That's the confusion. John stood with two of his disciples. John Boy was probably one of those. Mm -hmm. And we know that Andrew was the other. And looking at Jesus as he walked, John points at him and he says, Look, the Lamb of God. Wow. Mercy. You know what? I wonder what his audience was thinking. When they hear this, this metaphor, this, this, this nomenclature for Lamb of God, we never used, heard that phrase before in our lives. I don't know. I suppose they could have just like that thought of this Mount Moriah. Remember Mount Moriah, Abraham and Isaac? Come on. They're going up that mountain. They're going alone to the top. There's going to be a sacrifice at the, at the summit. And young Isaac turns to his father and he says, Abi, Abi, that's Hebrew. My father, my father. Hey, wait a minute. When we began this series, we were in Gethsemane. And the, the, the Lord of the universe in flesh, what did he call his father in Aramaic? Abba. Abba. And I told you then that I have three precious granddaughters who are sitting, two of the three sitting on the front row. And when they come up to my ear and they say, Papa, it just, my soul just melts. I say, up to half the kingdom, what do you want? <laughs> I imagine Abraham's heart when, when, when Isaac looks at him and he says, Papa, here's the wood, here's the fire, where's the lamb? And Abraham can't even look his boy in the eye. He just looks far away and he says, God himself will provide a lamb. And God did. Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Oh, my that is such a... I'm sure they probably thought that story. And if, it was, if it's not that one, it could be the story. Whoa, do you remember? Lamb 
blood all over the doorpost. Do you remember that? Story of the Exodus, the mighty deliverance of a, of a nation in bondage set free by the Almighty God. But I'm going to fly over. I'm going to pass over your houses. If you have blood, if you're under the blood, you get saved. Under the blood. And that's what happened. If I were a little girl, eldest, or a little boy, the eldest, it wouldn't matter. Because the eldest was really worried because the word is, eldest goes. Hey, Papa, go back out. Check to make sure the blood is still there. Yeah. Children of Israel grew up with that story. So that could have been one of them. That came to mind as John thunders, behold, the Lamb of God. Another line, though, is, well, when they went to church back then. You remember that? Hey, when you go to church, you come, we sit down in the septic environment. When they went to church back then and you had a rough week and the sins are on your mind and you go out to a little, little, little paddock behind and you take one of these and you hold it in your arms and you come up and the preacher at the door of the church says, you again, huh? And you say, yeah. He says, well, you know the drill. And you will take that little lamb and you'll put it down with your left hand. I'm sorry. That's a bad illustration. With your left hand, you will confess the sin that has brought you to church today. And then with your right hand, the priest will hand you that knife and you'll slit that throat. It's not painful for the lamb, but it's just a slow sapping away of life. And while you're holding it, the blood of the lamb is all over your hand. That's exactly right. So they could have thought, I suppose, of, of the going to church. There's one more I want to run by you. And they could have been just as valid with this one. The, uh, the messianic uh, prophet Isaiah. Let me put this on the screen for you. You remember Isaiah 53? We'll skip Exodus there. We'll go to uh, Isaiah there we go. Isaiah 53, verse 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he what? Opened not his mouth. Keep reading. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, speaking of the Messiah, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. And when you make his soul an offering for sin... He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. You made him an offering for sin. John thunders, behold. John doesn't even grasp the magnitude of that metaphor. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So all of that wrapped up in this beautiful little creature that Dr. Kudel has brought to us. Thank you, Kathy, very much. How about giving her a hand for putting up with this for two services? Oh, thank you. Let's step right up to the cross right now. We're going to end with John's depiction. It is unique, as you're about to see. Right at the foot of the cross, where I happen to stand... Every time I preach in the Pioneer Memorial Church, it's embedded in the, in the uh, platform, and we've got beautiful musicians sitting on it and around it, and you guys just made today the special day it is. Bless you. 
And then Carissa's dad, I'm talking about Carissa Care, he said, Dwight, I'm going to let you, I'm going to let you burn into this uh, wood with a soldering iron. Just burn it, anything you want. And so I put 1 Corinthians 2.2, 2, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So this is, this, is, this is sacred ground for me. Her dad was tragically killed after that. And so it's sacred ground for Carissa as well. But I want to go to, uh, to, to that moment. John introduces the Lamb of God in, uh, in chapter 1, but now he unveils and portrays the Lamb of God in chapter 19. So just turn to John chapter 19. Let's... let's Look at the cross through John Boy's eyes. He's the only disciple that personally witnessed the entire crucifixion scene. Not one of those big men was present. Took a boy to stay there with the women. All right. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Finally, verse 16, Pilate handed Jesus over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which is in Aramaic is called Golgotha, and there they crucified him, and with him two others, and, and on each side, one on each side, and Jesus in the middle. You know what? If I had been there, I should have been the guy on the middle cross. It's my sins. But Jesus steps in. He says, I'll take the middle cross, please. Between sinners, he dies. John makes clear. We see the geography of that moment. Lamb of God, what's the truth? He took my place as my substitute. I'm going to take three snapshots. There's the first one. He took my place as my substitute. Did you notice something in this story that we just read, this is the, the, the intro? A very unusual beginning. May I ask you, where is Simon the Cyrene? Cyrenian. Huh? Where is he? Isn't he the guy the Romans guards said, yo, you, carry his cross. Where is he? He's not in the story at all. John has Jesus carrying his cross all the way to the summit. What's going on here? Ah, you know what's going on? John is absolutely intent on us knowing Jesus was in control of his life and his death to the last breath. He is not a victim. He's a victor. Yeah. Oh, Craig Keener, the great New Testament scholar, two-volume commentary on John, which I have. But here, in contrast to the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus carries his own cross. He closes his life words with an announcement of completion. It is finished. And he offers up his spirit in death. No one takes Jesus' life from him. He offers it up freely. The crucifixion in John, Keener writing, is Jesus' triumph. He wins. He wins. He's not whooped. He won. Oh, brother, did we ever need to know that? Absolutely. I should have been on that center cross. But Jesus says, no, I'll sub for you. Let me do it. Keep reading. Drop down to verse 28. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished. Okay, we're getting to the death scene now. And so the scripture would be fulfilled. Jesus said, I'm thirsty, human to the core, divine to the core. 
I'm thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked the sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. He's trying to suck the moisture out. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. I want you to notice how Jesus dies here. He bows his head. Are you catching this? He bows his head. Then he gives up his breath, because the word means breath. Now, when you and I die, God forbid the thought, if we're talking together and I'm having a conversation with you, and in the middle of that conversation I die, here's what's going to happen. You're talking to me. What's happening with Dwight? I don't know. I stopped breathing. I stopped breathing, and then what, is, what happens to my head? Right? I stopped breathing, and then my head drops. Did you notice with Jesus? It's the exact opposite. He lowers his head. He knows this is my moment. It is finished. Drops his head. Breathes his last. Why? Because he's in control from the beginning to the end. He's not a victim. He's the victor of Calvary. You don't serve a victim. You serve a living victor. And that's the good news of Calvary. No question. No question. Okay. So what do we know about the Lamb of God? He took my place as my substitute. Number two, he died my death as my sacrifice. He died instead of me. Keep reading. Story's about over. Verse 31. Now it was a day of preparation. We know around this Adventist community, we call it the preparation day, and we all know which day of the week is it. Which day of the week is it? It's Friday, we know. Good Friday. Now it was a day of, the, of, of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Passover and Sabbath coincide rarely, but this is one of them. Because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. Please. Why are they doing it? Keep reading. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus and then those of the other. Last Sabbath, we were with that desperate thief who's with all the save yourselves. There's this quiet little voice that says, save me. And Jesus saves him. He got his legs broken. Why would they do that? So that you can't breathe. When your arms are out like this, the only way you can breathe is to put all your weight on your feet and, and just push up with your leg and just grab. They, you eventually asphyxiate. That's how it's a barbaric form of death. But when they break the legs, you have no strength. No, it's too painful. You just hang and stop breathing. You can't suck another air in. Yeah. Wow. But... When they come to Jesus and found that he was already dead, Pilate cannot believe. When he gets the word, he said, no way, Jose. He is not dead. You can't die that quick. Oh, yes, he did, Centurion says. I watched him die. He's dead. When they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. Blood and water. Wait a minute, wait a minute. The gospel begins with Jesus turning water into wine, doesn't it? And now the gospel ends with Jesus turning wine, he just took a sip, into water. What's going on here? He's in control. 
every step of the way. Trusting his father. Oh, wow, how great is our God, we sing. How great is our God. Okay, last scene, death scene, post-death. These things happen so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. That's the Passover. You can't break the lamb. It's a perfect, perfect sacrifice. And then here's the other verse. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. Now, that's a direct quote from the ancient prophet Zechariah. Why? What happens when you look on the one you have pierced? Watch this. Zechariah says this is what's going to happen when they finally get it. They will look on me, God speaking, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. Why are they grieving? Because they killed him. They killed him. That's it. We killed him. You and me. We did it. Behold, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. W.D. Frazee in his book, Ransom and Reunion, tells a, a powerful story, and I'm not going to tell it, and I'm not going to read it myself. I'm going to put it on the screen. It's a short one so that you read it with me to get the full impact. All right? Here we go. W.D. Frazee, years ago in a western city where I pastored, one of the saddest funerals I ever heard of took place. A tiny toddler lay in the casket, and on the front seats sat the mourning family. Been there and done that. The father wept aloud, crushed with grief, for he had killed his own child. He had backed his car out of the garage to go to work, not realizing that the little fellow had left the breakfast table to follow daddy, and so he had toddled into the path of the moving car. Broken-hearted father, he had killed his boy. We did it. We killed him. Frizee goes on, but when you and I come to Calvary, we face an infinitely greater tragedy, for we see Jesus slain, not by an accident, but by our deliberate sin. You say, yo, preacher, what sin are you talking about? Well, what sin do you think I'm talking about? You know your sins. You don't have to ask me. I'm talking about your darling sin. You know the one that you say, manana, manana, I'm off of this, manana. I'm talking about that sin. I'm talking about the sin that pops into your mind when someone says, what's the toughest struggle with sin you have? I'm talking about that sin. Not by an accident, but by our deliberate sin. The sin that Jesus bore, my sin. Trust me, I know what I picture every time. Can't fake it. Can't fool it. Look, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Oh, man. Why should we hang on to that sin any longer? I ask you, why? What would be the point? Is it helping me? Is it growing me? Is it broadening my experience? Is it deepening me? None of the above. It's killing you. It's killing me. He took my place as my substitute. 
He died my death as my sacrifice, and finally we just had it. He bore my sins as my Savior. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Here's how I want to end. Music is a powerful, powerful medium to communicate the truth about Calvary. Some of the greatest music, classical music, has been crafted around the Calvary theme. But here's what we're going to do. No accompaniment. Nobody slipping in. Nope, it's just going to be you and me and a choir. I got backup second service. You know when you come in, don't you? Okay. No, the choir knows this. Everyone, I'm going to sing, we're going to sing three hymns. One stanza, one stanza, one stanza. Three short stanzas. I'm going to put them on the screen. The moment you see it, you say, yo, I could sing that one by memory. Okay, but this is the second stanza, the one that you think you know. It is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. Okay. So here comes the second stanza now. And I'm going to fill in for me, please, as fast as you can. And the congregation, I tell you what, first service, they got it. And it was like a choir. And you're going to be the same. So let's sing this first stanza. Then we'll, we'll switch. My sin, oh, the joy of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the Baptist friend who's with us today, Billy Graham's favorite, Just As I Am Without One Plea. That's a beautiful, beautiful hymn. But notice, okay, thank you. You just enlarged the monitor. Notice the metaphor that we're dealing with, all right? Just as I am without one plea, but that by the British composer William Cooper, but with a tune from the Appalachians, we all know it well. There is a fountain filled with blood, but it's the third stanza we're going to sing, and it's on the screen for you now. 
All right. Thou dying lamb, thy precious blood shall never lose its power till all the rags in the church of God are saved to sin no more. Now you know how it goes. Are saved to sin no more. Are saved to sin no more. Till all the ransomed church of God are saved. Jesus, Lamb of God, Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. One day, we will hold your hand. Yes, we will. It'll be our turn. And we will hold that hand with its jagged rip and now purple scar across both wrists. We will hold your hand and we will breathe like God. I owe everything to you. We will hold that hand. And with tear-brimmed eyes, we will look into your face, Jesus. And we will say, my Lord Jesus, you paid it all. I am in your debt forever and ever. Amen. Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, may that day be soon. Come back for us. Come back for us. We need to go home. We live with that Adventist hope. We live with that Adventist hope, but keep it bright so that when we see you on that cloud of fire, Lamb of God who takes us into the world, we will know it was worth the wait because the best really does come last. Stand to your feet as we sing that great anthem, We Have This Hope.